Hello, and welcome to Faith, Fitness, and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood, and I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late-night meals. I'd like to thank my sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, Tennessee Pre, and Primate Apparel for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, there's none better than Steve at Skull Smash. If you're looking to hit a brutal pull and need an added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. If you're like me and you want that focus boost in your training without the caffeine crash, then Tennessee Pre is the pre-workout for you. And I'll swear by this, we are humble, but we are savage. Primate Apparel's mentality of sticking to your guns and standing up to those who do you ill is a vital part of my training. You can head over to any of their Instagram pages to get some products. This afternoon, I'm talking with Andrew Lawrence, a longtime friend of mine in the fitness industry and a vocal mental health advocate, particularly as it pertains to life balance and training. A lover of donuts and soju, Andrew has remained a consistent mentor in my own training and education, so you won't want to miss a single minute of this episode as we talk all things fitness and food. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Andrew, what's going on? Just living the dream. You know, we all (laughs) not really much else we can do in this time, but there is not much else we can be doing right now. I know we're on probably what week 10 or 11 of quarantine at this point. I don't even know. I've lost track. It doesn't really matter to me because I'm still working full time. So my, my days haven't changed too much, but the difference is I'm not driving to the office. I'm walking upstairs to my dining room now. Mm hmm. Well, I do. I do feel like we see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know Southern Virginia is finally hitting phase two. Gyms are opening again. Tattoo parlors are reopening. I know I was chatting with a guy up in Northern Maryland, Bobby Douglas, that we talked about before to schedule something yeah. this summer. So it's exciting to feel like we can actually start out and do life again. You know? Yeah, we'll we'll foresee in Maryland. Uh, we're we're a little behind the curve in certain areas, more so, especially in the city. Um, our mayor is not the brightest person in <laughs> the world. So, um, where most of the state has already kind of planned to push to phase two, uh, the city is still in phase one. So, mm. <laughs> we love that. No, Nova's in the same situation right now that I'm having to travel out to Front Royal to get even to a gym. So, I relate to that. Yeah, I don't even have access to a gym yet. So <laughs> so for the fitness industry, for those of you guys listening, for the fitness portion, we have nothing fitness that we can talk about because neither of us have gotten to work out in three months. So, I mean, I've just been playing soccer. That's been my workout now. But. Well, we both know that I haven't done a day of cardio in my life, so I can... Yeah. I mean, when, when I'm saying I'm playing soccer, it's like we're not playing games. We're I'm, I'm taking free kicks. I'm trying to just be David Beckham out here. It's... <laughs> I'm not running up and down the field like I'm Gareth Bale or anybody special. Sure, sure. It's, it's, it's power lifter cardio. It's kicking things and kicking them really hard and hoping you hit the right place. Which I'm still good at, luckily. Um, that, that, that I will give myself credit for. I haven't lost that after all the years of not playing. <laughs> well, so speaking of soccer, I know before we jump into your background, I know you are an avid Chelsea fan. I remember back in uh, 2010 when I first moved to Ireland, I didn't know anything about European football or Premier League. And a guy uh, came up to me and said, you either support Chelsea or Man United. That's what he said. He said, you need to pick one of the two. And I thought Man United sounded pretentious. I didn't know anything about either. And I picked Chelsea. 
Uh, and I guess that means I'm a Chelsea fan. I haven't watched a game in probably six years. But tell me about this this love of yours for soccer. Well, Man United is pretentious. Um, <laughs> I mean, granted, it's they're they're probably the most winning club in like Premier League history. Uh, so they have a right to be pretentious at least. It's not the same as like so as a Chelsea fan. At least for us, it's a battle of London. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's three major clubs in London, which is Chelsea, Tottenham, and Arsenal. I don't know why this is a thing because the other two don't have a stake in the race. Mm-hmm. They are terrible. Arsenal have had one phenomenal season in their entire life. Chelsea run London. So if you ever see me post like London is blue, it's because we run the city. Um, but I, I mean, I, I grew up with the game. My, my dad uh, played his entire life. His father played his entire life. I don't know where the love of Chelsea started necessarily, but that was also passed down to me from my dad. So I just kind of, followed suit so i'm luckily have been along for the ride of the good part of chelsea but the early part of my history with the club was uh not not fun yeah oh i i know like when i first i guess when i first claimed to be a chelsea supporter we were still riding the the blue tide of like doing well and then we just tanked for a couple years and then i remember it was a slow build back up to victory it, we won our first UEFA Champions League title in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, I vividly remember that entire ride because I broke a coffee table in my house. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like an eight, I think it was the 89th minute or something like that. Didier Drogba scored a goal, header goal off of a corner, end of the game in the final, right over Manuel Neuer's near post side. And I flipped the table over and screamed which sent us into overtime, which then led to penalties, which was the most nerve wracking thing in the world. But it was, so tense. It was written in the stars. It had to be Didier Drogba because he scored the last one. And I mm. just remember screaming so loud that a neighbor came over and asked me if I was okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were like, are you, are you good? I'm like, I am more than okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember when, when Didier signed back to Chelsea, I, I had another good friend of mine who's obsessed who was from London. Yeah, uh, and he just he knew how big it was, and when Jose Mourinho came back, that for him he was just like, man, like this is this feels like life is back to normal. Yeah, and now I mean, as a Chelsea fan, it's great for us because we have a club legend as coach, uh, mm-hmm. Frank, Frank Lampard, mm-hmm. um, and unlike a lot of our past coaches, Frank is very invested in our youth system. Chelsea has a very bad habit in the past, at least, of building phenomenal youth prospects and then selling them off. Yeah. And then, and then they become the greatest talents in the entire world. <laughs> yep. Yep. Then that's like a dangerous a, precedent. Yep. <laughs> like a, like a Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Mohamed Salah was a product of our system at one point as well. I mean, we're, we're pretty much known for selling off talent that ends up being great. Um, but doesn't look like we're doing that now. We did just not confirmed, but apparently made a great signing today. So I'm very hype on that one. Well, so I, I wonder, you know, obviously my my connection to you and most of the people that I, I have chatted with is through powerlifting, through fitness. So I wonder where did where did that play into your development? Obviously, you're a big soccer guy, but where did where did fitness come into it for you? So that'll kind of touch on the mental health topic, I guess, as well, um, which we can obviously go much deeper into. I played soccer up until I think I was like 17 or 18, maybe um, started dating someone. 
after that breakup, I fell into like a deep depression, which I dealt with depression and anxiety issues since I was about 13, I think is the first like vivid memory that I can think of as far as that goes. Um, I really started to pick it up, I guess, around like 20. Um, so I'm, I'm roughly about 10 years in now. Um, but it was kind of my vice as far as like when I was going through things, I started to turn to the gym. Um, mm-hmm. Initially, just going and lifting weights in general was just an avid, regular gym goer. But then I found weightlifting. Um, so weightlifting eventually transitioned into me competing in weightlifting. Um, broke my hand. Completely not related to lifting. That's a whole other story that we can talk about if you would like. Um, not quite sure that relates to fitness because it doesn't. Um, but once I had healed from that and another string of small injuries through that period, I tried to get back into weightlifting, but just found it so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, cause all my timing was gone and my technique weightlifting versus powerlifting is so technique driven as compared to like with powerlifting, obviously, yes, we need to have good technique, but it is to the point where if you're just brute strength, you can kind of get your way through things without right. actually knowing what the hell you're doing. Right. Weightlifting, you have to be overtly strong to be able to do that as compared to like, like I'm saying, like if you can just have dumb strength and deadlift 600 pounds and have horrible technique. Right, right. You're not, you're not going to snatch 300 pounds unless you're strong enough to probably deadlift 500 anyway. Exactly. But I had just gotten so frustrated with the technique of just weightlifting being gone for me. It, it never felt the same. So then I switched over to powerlifting because I still wanted to do something strength-based and challenge myself. But like I said, I've, I've competed probably two or three times. I just didn't enjoy powerlifting in the same way. But it, it is where I developed a lot of friendships and connections in the, I guess, the industry, we'll call it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and you mentioned this off-air before we started recording. I mean, you, you're you're unique in that, you know, some of the people I've had on this season, I mean, I've I've had people who are known for just being these huge names. And then people may be like, huh, like who's Andrew Lawrence? But ironically, you have relationships with every single one of these people more so than I do. So how did you even become such an interconnected person? I honestly wish I had a good answer for that, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but, I, but I absolutely don't know. Um, like I, I guess we can drop names just because they've been on the podcast and stuff, sure. but like charity i honestly don't remember how charity and i have developed our friendship i'm glad we do because she's a very good friend um Mm -hmm. but i I, I guess it's just through casual conversation because i don't approach these people in a way of like almost like fandom type thing um like my connections as far as like evan rutledge girth brooks as most people would probably know him as a close friend um briani terry all-time world record holder for deadlift in her category um just certain people that have been on the podcast or even if they haven't been on the podcast that are bigger names, I somehow have a friendship or relationship with these people. Um, some of them are through work related things as far as like web development, software development things that I've done with a partner of mine, um, which that's a whole nother story as well. But yeah, I, I honestly don't really have like a set point answer for how I've become friends and develop these relationships with these people. I guess it's just kind of luck of the draw. Or it's just, I guess it's, and I hate being that person, but it's the difference of being authentic versus someone who's kind of looking for a self gain from these people. Um, I I look to develop genuine friendships with people because I know that I can learn from them versus other people are, oh my God, I just want to say that I'm friends with this person. And I'm like, I I don't really care at the end of the day. Like, it's cool that like I have friends who are like well known, but 
doesn't do anything for me. Like I don't get anything from knowing these people other than the fact that like we can bounce ideas off of each other, but it's not a push for my own career. Cause it's nothing that I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. You mentioned that difference in authenticity because I mean, I, I even have an image of like the Arnold or the LA fit expo, like all these huge events in which you've got thousands of fans and, you know, gym bros, gym shark, wannabe girls wandering around. And they're like, just waiting for a photo op with, with athletes, with coaches, with, I mean, with Arnold, understandably all fan, all fanboy over Arnold any day of the week. I don't care about that. Yeah. But man, he's, he's a legend. So that's, that's kind of the same as like, if you're looking like a powerlifting world, it's like Ed Cone. Right. It's, it's, it's the same thing. So, but, but I think it's interesting. You mentioned the, the dynamic in the relationship of being authenticity, because it is a difference. I chatted with a friend of mine when I first started the podcast and I was just intimidated to, to ask some of these people on because I mean, for me, just having recently graduated, there are people that I never would have considered when I started lifting, having relationships with. And he pretty much said, you know, the moment that you get over the fangirl aspect and say, no, like these are people who I respect and admire, but they're just other people. And I think that's something a lot of people don't reconcile with, but it sounds like you've got a healthy viewpoint on. Yeah. I mean, I've always viewed it that way is it's like, I, in my lifetime have been lucky enough to meet many different high caliber names or whatever you want to call them celebrities. So on whatever, I don't treat people like they're celebrities because they honestly like it. It's a difference of like, there are certain people who get off on it. They want to be worshiped. Sure. But those are people who I don't want to associate with is like, I'm from Baltimore. So big name for us is Michael Phelps. He is the most average dude I've ever met in my life. <laughs> like to the point that like, him and I are cool with each other. If we see each other out, he doesn't remember my name. I obviously know his because of who he is, but if he sees me, he'll give me a head nod, say, what's up, ask me how I am. Same thing with like, I, I worked at a high end restaurant down here. Um, that I, I got to work with a lot of high end clientele, whether it be like Justin Tucker from the Ravens. I took care of the entire U S men's soccer team. And same thing. I was easily able to develop relationships with these people because I didn't treat them like they were anybody special, even though they wanted me to do that to these people. Mm-hmm. Talk to people like they're normal. They'll treat you in such a way. Right. So I, I think that was the biggest thing is like, yeah, it's cool to like, look at like, like Garrett, for example, Garrett's like a very, very Garrett's probably the one of the most authentic people you're probably going to talk to. Number one, um, he's very polarizing. So a lot, of, <laughs> so a lot of people are very intimidated, I guess, by Garrett's personality mm-hmm. because very he's very cutthroat. He's very just he's setting his intention in the way that he wants people to think, which is fine. I, that's that's cool. But I never approached Garrett as anybody different than who I took him to be, which mm-hmm. was of that of being an authentic person. So when him and I started talking, it was because I it was it was a business related talk, but him and I just remained cool after that. But it's it's one of those things once you get over that like initial hump of like, oh man, this person like especially like if you're looking at it from like a strength athlete standpoint, if you're just getting into this, you're obviously gonna look up to people who deadlift seven hundred, eight hundred pounds. They're like the pinnacle. But they're still normal people. Mm-hmm. And that's where people need to drop it. They're not celebrities. Because mostly people don't want to be treated like celebrities. They're normal people. Most of them are normal working class people. 
mm-hmm. who just also happen to be very, very strong. Yeah. Like, like John Hack is like the chillest, like chillest person in the world. Yeah. Like he's just a, he's an online troll mm-hmm. and his gym is like at his office, I think is what he said. Like he set up a gym like at work. So he's a normal class working person who also happens to be probably the strongest pound for pound man alive. Right. Well, and, and what's, what's interesting as well is I think the fitness industry strong, I mean, strong man's a whole nother beast, but you know, weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit, the people are, it's a more approachable industry because at the end of the day, it is just other average people. Like most athletes, it's not their full-time job to just go lift weights. You compete one or two times a year, as opposed to, I couldn't just DM Drake and be like, Hey man, like you got a free hour. Like we'd love to just get you on the podcast real fast because it's just not as accessible. Yeah. I mean, in weightlifting, it's a little bit different. Like powerlifting is still, and respectfully put, it's still so small. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't have the same pull as like you're saying, strongman. That is full-time job for them. Strongman yeah. has been on ESPN for years. Yeah. It's, it's a globally known thing. Their biggest athletes are training full-time mm-hmm. as compared to like powerlifting. Most of your biggest athletes, unless they're like heavily sponsored by someone or run a company that they can kind of sit back and like profit off of in the meantime, are not going to be just having that free time. Like it's weightlifting. Like you look at the top weightlifters, they train full-time. That is their job. Their countries pay them to train full time. They train right. three times, three times a day, like three hours a piece. All their food and everything is paid for. Their room and boarding with their country, like it's powerlifting, just hasn't reached that yet. Yeah, Cross, CrossFit's kind of getting there because it, it it does also have the same televised pool. But your biggest powerlifters are just average people. It's they're they're the most approachable of the bunch. Yeah. Yeah, no, they are. And and I think that's something I love about it because it does make those entry level lifters, your high schoolers, your college students, even though they don't see it in the front end, it is. They're just people you can have relationships with as long as you're not weird about it and start being. Yeah, I remember when I first met Brian Shaw, I didn't know how to act because, I mean, he's just such a huge man and I'd never seen him in person. I walked up to this man. I, this scars me. Like we talk about stuff where like you're falling asleep and you're playing back scenes in your head from your life. I walk up to this man and I knew to myself, I said, man, I've got something I can say to him. I've got one thing, one sentence. This is my shot. And I look this man, shake his hand. And I say, I love your YouTube channel. And that's what I said to him. That's the first thing that came out of my head. And I thought to myself, damn it, Moses, what is wrong with you? <laughs> And of course, he's the nicest guy ever. But I was like, "That's he's what I like, said." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. Dude, literally, he was like, "Thanks, brother." That mean that means the world. I was like, "Thanks, Brian." <laughs> I shook his hand and laughed. <laughs> like, oh my god, he talked to me. <laughs> so I've like vowed to myself: the next time I meet him, I'm just I refuse. But knowing me, I'll say it again. Be like, like hey, hey man, man, I still love your YouTube channel. <laughs> Remember last time I told you I love your YouTube channel? <laughs> I still love that shit. Yeah, it's still incredible. He's like, oh, God. Um, I've watched so- you grow so many followers. It's incredible. <laughs> so you mentioned something a couple minutes ago. and um, Those that don't know you, I mean, you say polarizing from Garrett. You are not someone who's afraid to voice your opinion about anything, which Absolutely is a not. gift and a curse. Um, you know, I'm sure that's put you in situations that 
you probably wish you hadn't been in, but I'm sure in other situations you're like, ah, I'm going to give them hell. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned, I wonder, I'll throw some topics at you and get your rapid fire thoughts. You offhand mentioned sponsorships. You know, there's some people who are, you know, heavily sponsored. It's Rogue, it's Alico, but then you see these Redcon One, Tier One ambassadors. And I wonder in this wild world of people trying to get social media attention, what are your thoughts on all that? I think if that's your end goal, you better have something that actually is like worth being sponsored for. I think too many people set out with the intention of getting a sponsor and don't understand how fucking average they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I can't put that any other way. And like, I know that's not nice, but like at the same time, I don't care. Like if you're a, if you're a dude, right. And you're, let's just use the 181 class, for example. And your total is 1500. Who should sponsor you? You are as average and generic as possible can be because there are so many dudes. Like I, I remember like, when I kind of first got into it, like 1400 was like, all right, cool. Now I'm kind of something, but like, there's so many dudes at like a national level now who are like anywhere from like 14 to 1500. Like you're not separating yourself from the pack. And unfortunately there are so many companies now that are out there just looking to get their name out. So they kind of throw sponsorships at anybody. Um, I mean, there's, I don't want to pick on women specifically, but there's girls who are attractive and are absolutely terrible lifters absolutely they have absolutely horrible totals whether it be in powerlifting or weightlifting and somehow they have a clothing sponsor and it's related to lifting it's not just like an apparel brand it's like a this is a company who like for some reason is like yeah we're going to sponsor you and it's like this girl can barely snatch two whole plates on the bar right. like, what, like what are you doing so it's, it's sponsorships or whatever like i get it but uh, again rolling back to the original point be worth the sponsorship right it's like i i don't respect a sponsorship that's just thrown at you because you have a following either because mm -hmm. you can grow a following to grow a following on top of the fact that i'll call people out not by name but because i don't want to get into that on here sure but who have who have paid for their followings yes so you have someone who has fifty thousand followers and averages 200 likes per photo Something's not adding up there. Yeah. And, oh, we, and that, we, all, we all know people like that. Yeah. And on top of that, if you pull up this person's social blade, I guarantee you see that jump is like 40,000 over a month. Right. I'm sorry, but unless you're breaking a world record, it's probably not fucking happening. Right. Unless you've been posted on King of the Lifts for becoming the greatest lifter yeah, of all time. Like a perfect example of that of like someone who's following I did like actually watch like blow up was like Briani. Yeah. Like when Briani and I first like started talking, becoming friends with each other was right before she broke the record the first time. And I, th I think at the time she maybe had, I want to say like 5,000 followers and she's, I think like, I don't know, probably like 15, 16, 17, something. Mm -hmm. And most of that was like a very short burst. It was like, Holy shit. Who's, who is this person? Right. And it and came. And I think those are the best, those are the best stories, you know, of power lifters, because as the sport grows, these random people are popping or these quote unquote random people are popping up, whether they're coming from other sports or they've just been, you know, in their garage training for three years. And then suddenly you see uh, somebody squat 900 pounds and you're like, how, how do we not even know you existed yet? And they're like, hey, yep, I've got 500 followers. 
because they squat high. That's true. <laughs> the amount, the amount of conversation. The, the, I, the, the, the only reason we know them is because Garrett Fear tagged them in a, in a story post. Right. Right. <laughs> and I, I swear, I think I found half the people I found because Garrett has called them out at some point in the story post. I love that shit. Uh, it's just oh so speaking of beef let's talk about a couple beefs that we've got going on in the industry because we know that for whatever reason something as simple as lifting weights makes people angry at other people lifting weights Uh, yeah (laughs) so we we the the mo- the one that everyone who's listening is probably going to know about because it's been everywhere for the last two months is Thor and Eddie. And I've asked everyone about it. I asked Charity about it, but of course, Charity is close friends with Eddie. So she was like, I can't give you a fair answer on that because I love Eddie to death. That means she's she thinks Thor's going to knock his ass out. You know, which is tough. Um, <laughs> but but I wonder, you know, in a situation like that, like, what do you think it is about? Is it just the competitive spirit of the sports? Like, what is it that triggers this just massive ego complexes across all these athletes? it's it's competitive spirit but it's also one of those things like it that that's purely based off of just personal issues between the two of them sure um i don't know for what reason i i don't agree with how thor handled 2017 i think it was he acted like a child um but i also think eddie kind of needs to let it go (laughs) yeah this whole he tried to steal my but he didn't I understand if he like actually did something to make you lose that title, but you didn't, you held mm-hmm. it. Just shut up and move on. Like right. it, get over it. And then you made it worse because you knew he was going to blow your deadlift record up. Right. <laughs> like it, I, I, this whole like, Oh, we'll do it in a competition, buddy. You go, you don't have a governing body. Like this isn't the same as like someone in powerlifting where like, all right, cool. I'm going to go and deadlift 800 pounds, which might be a record for this federation. Now, unless that breaks an all-time world record, I don't even care. But it's like with the whole strongman thing, it's like there's not even really like a a federation that they all fall under. So mm-hmm. doing it in a competition versus doing it at a gym, to me at least, not really that much different. On top of the fact that it was done in a competition setting – Granted, it was in his own gym, but to me, I think that makes it actually a little bit harder. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you don't have the hype crowd, but it's mm-hmm. like, it, the, the whole beef to me is just dumb because then Eddie looked kind of dumb because the day before he's like, oh, well, good luck, buddy. You talk shit about this man and told him to go fuck himself for months. <laughs> right. for, for, for months. months. And mm-hmm. then the day of, you're like, I wish you the best of luck. Shut up. Like, I hope he knocks you out. You looked like a cuck. Like, well, I'll tell you what, I am looking for, regardless of the fight, I'm looking forward to being there. Um, I realized, you know, that I'm going to be out West anyway. So I was like, man, I'll just stay out a couple more months. So I was like, I've never been to Vegas. So I was like, that'd be an interesting first trip to Vegas. Get the podcast to blow up, you know, give some announcing ringside and then hear the whole earth shake as one of them hits the ground. Yeah. It'll, it'll probably be Eddie. Um, People it's keep, tough like, to match it. that height. It's just such a size. It's, it's it's not even that. Like the whole like the, the two videos that were shown. Granted, Eddie had better technique, but Thor has more killer instinct. I don't yeah. think Thor's going to let up on it. Mm-hmm. 
Because the whole thing is, is, all right, cool, you can know how to fight and box all you want, but if I'm still going to keep coming at you after you're hitting me, I'm probably still going to beat your ass. Is it, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of effort at that point. Yes. And if someone is not going to back down, you can have all the technique in the world. If you don't knock them out first, they're going to hurt you. And I think that's what's going to happen to Eddie. So unless Eddie dances around the ring like he's Floyd Mayweather, I think he's getting knocked out. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be an interesting year and a half to watch him prep for. They've got a long time. So yeah. I think it'll be I think it'll be interesting. Either way, I'd like to see it last a little while at least to give people a show, but you know, if I they give it, I give it two rounds before they're both puff, puffing before they're both gassed. <laughs> they're just both puffing air. Well, cuz you see Thor <laughs> like a 10-minute walk and he's like going for some cardio and you're like Thor, man, you gotta you gotta lose some weight, dog. But it's just it's like buddy. You know that's not healthy. I understand it's your your job, but maybe run a little bit. <laughs> maybe. Although I, I I will give him credit. He he has better cardio at four forty than a lot of power lifters do at one hundred and ninety eight. Now that's true. That is very much true. Uh, which you got to uh, think this this guy is running events with stones in his hand for five minutes, and you ask a power lifter to run a mile in under twenty. Good luck. <laughs> Beginning of the episode, uh, I mentioned a little bit, you know, that I I've known you to be a bit of a mental health advocate, and I wonder if you could just talk into that a little bit, um, especially as that pertains to your your own fitness journey, your own personal life. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, you and I have had this conversation a couple times as far as the gym and lifting being kind of an outlet of sorts. Um, I mean, and this is also something you and I have talked about before, as far as taking it too far to the point of it being a crutch. Um, I mean, I've always turned to the gym I, for an outlet and it was something like, I, I, I want to say it was around the age of probably 19 or 20 when I really started to get into the gym as far as where to take my frustration and my, my pain is instead of, I, I guess that was my form of self-harm per se was to mm-hmm. beat my body up instead of cutting myself. Um, yeah. which no disrespect to anybody who does that. I don't understand that myself because I've never been pushed to that point. But I, I always looked at hurting myself in a way that would actually be productive, I guess. Um, so I've, I've always leaned on the gym. And then obviously, like I said before, you've known me and my, <laughs> my injury journey. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much I needed the gym until, <laughs> right. I, until I couldn't use it. So, <laughs> right. Well, so <clears throat> especially recently, I mean, so today, uh, March for me, my first time even being able to step back into a gym since March. So how have you balanced even the last few months? I know you've jumped on and off injuries and stuff, but for you continuing to keep your mental health in a healthy state for yourself, have you been able to, to balance that even without being able to lift? I mean, yeah, because I was forced to. Um, life circumstances kind of happened to me as far as with like a really shitty situation with a breakup back in like February. And I fell into a depression, like wave, depressive state, you mm-hmm. know, whatever you want to call it, from pretty much all of March. So I had an opportunity to at least go to the gym in March and make mm-hmm. a deal with it, but I didn't. And mm-hmm. then I lost that opportunity for the gym as soon as they closed down with all the COVID thing going on. So in that point, I've kind of had to transition and take a look at it from a different standpoint and find other outlets. So I'm not just relying on the gym. Um, I, I've just got my fitness in with turning back to my first love, which was soccer, football. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
outside of that, I've I've personally been fine. I'm not one of the people who's like having like a rage fit over not going to the gym. Sure. I, I miss it, but I've I've been okay without it. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned something there about some people can use the gym as a crutch uh, as opposed to actually addressing the issues in their own life. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people out there who are okay with offering motivation or information like, hey, you're doing this wrong, but there's no practicality behind it. So I wonder for people who may be tempted or have, have slipped into that, uh, that use of using the gym or something else as, as a crutch instead of dealing with actual issues, what is your recommendation to them to actually start tackling those head on instead of just avoiding it? You need to find things that stimulate you in a positive mindset, um, whether that be writing or, you know, just even taking a walk or whatever. It's you can't rely on a specific location to be your escape from your mm-hmm. issues, because at that point, you kind of have to look at it from the fact that you're running away from it. You're not actually beating it. Um, cause when that physical location is taken from you or that physical thing that you're kind of hell bent on using is taken from you, you're left with nothing. So you have to figure out things for yourself to do, um, that don't require anything but you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that could be something as simple as finding a piece of paper and writing your thoughts and feelings down, but it's, yeah, I mean, you can't, the, the best thing to say there is you just you have to look within yourself for more than just one thing as an outlet. Cause if you rely on one, when that one thing is stripped from you, you're, you're going to be very lost. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that can be poured into so many different things that people uh, like to use other things as crutches instead of dealing with their actual issues or learning to love themselves enough to I- exist without being codependent on something. Yeah, and then even as far as with the gym, I don't know if you're familiar with who Matt Bergeron is, mm-hmm. um, but Matt had put a tweet up the other week, which I was the one that I think I reposted on Twitter, um, sorry, not on Twitter, on Instagram, that was people have actually become addicted to the gym. So now that mm-hmm. it's stripped from them, they are becoming absolutely terrible people. It's like taking alcohol away from an alcoholic or drugs away from a drug addict. It's like people trying to detox from something that they've become so reliant upon. Yeah. And that, ooh, that's an, that's actually a really good point. Um, because I mean, I can definitely, I I'm someone who can lean in that direction. I have so many obsessive tendencies that, um, you know, to, to step out of that and be forced not there. It wasn't even a, Hey guys, like use the gym a little bit less as COVID comes up. It's no, like everything's shut. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Best of luck. It was and, hard, hard cut. There was no in between. It was all right. You can go today and then tomorrow. No. Right. Well, yeah, it, it was the same thing with, with schools, with colleges. It was like, hey, you're, you're done. And, you know, for, for people who have come off of addictive substances, whether it's, you know, actual hard drugs or whether it's literally caffeine or nicotine, whatever, if you, if you go a hard cut, <laughs> it usually doesn't end super well for you. No, the side effects are so much worse. You're not going to be a very happy person when you have something that you're so reliant upon. Mm-hmm. Taken, taken from you. I mean, yeah. I, like I said, it's it's as simple as that because I've been there with caffeine before. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I'm not the worst about it, but I've absolutely ruined my adrenal glands to the point that like I kind of drink caffeine for fun. Yeah, not, not for necessity at this point because yep. it doesn't do anything for me anyway. Yep. It's more of like a libido effect where it's like I feel like it helps me, but it doesn't. Yes, exactly. It's like, uh, you know, it's those basic white girls that need to go to Starbucks and get uh, their iced yeah, coffee every three hours. 
it's just a routine thing. And that that's the other thing is people get so set in routine, which I get is like a comfort, especially for people with like mental health problem mm-hmm. is when you have your routine stripped from you, that's where you get a lot of that anxiety that spikes mm-hmm. because you're, you're, it's the, that uncomfortable part of life. And that's, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the YouTube channel. Yes. Theory at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I actively use that whole mindset of seeking discomfort. That's the only way to move past anything is you have to force yourself to become uncomfortable in situations that way you can grow. If you're constantly set in that zone of comfort and where everything is just normal all the time, you get stagnant. You're never going to make any kind of progress. Yeah. Well, that's actually such a great point. Let's take that into, into training. You know, obviously this being primarily a fitness podcast, how do you put that into training? Because you say, you know, Hey, if you're, if you're not actively seeking discomfort, if you're not actively seeking change, things that are forcing you to grow, you're going to grow stagnant. How can we apply that directly to training? I mean, you look at that with people who have run the same program for God knows how long and made no progress. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you have to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. But then even when you figure out what works, you have to push yourself. If you're consistently hitting numbers that are easy for you, you might get a little bit stronger and a little bit better. You might make a little bit of progress, but you're never going to take yourself to that next step is, I mean, you don't have to take it to the point of like a bodybuilder where you're crying after a set, but sure, it's, <laughs> you look at people who like, post like a, let's say their coach gave them like a single at rpe9 mm-hmm. and they're consistently hitting now granted we all know when you get to a certain point it feels fucking heavy yeah but we can watch someone play back and they hit a rpe7 and they're like oh, i'm tapped out for the day and it's mm-hmm. like buddy you're not pushing yourself you're like cool with staying right here you're never mm-hmm. gonna get better mm-hmm. so it's it's a matter of just that next step because it's even like with some of my athletes i'll give them like an amrap set and especially on something like deadlift if you're not failing the last rep i feel like you you gave up yeah like if you get if you sat it down because you were tired and i feel like that last rep was still kind of fast to the point that you had another seven or eight in you and you (laughs) right you were just gassed like come on buddy push Mm -hmm. Like I, because I've I've been there myself. Is because I don't I don't compete anymore, and I haven't in ages. I have to constantly force myself to do something that I don't want to do to keep it interesting, because I find myself to the point where I get bored with the gym, and I just go through the motions. And that's when I kind of I'll do it for like three or four weeks, and then I look at it and I'm like, damn, I haven't done anything. Right. Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I've seen the times in which you've been hype, you've been energized. Like when you were, when you were pushing for that 600 deadlift, I mean, you were chasing that son of a bitch for a long time. Yeah. That and, was like four or five years running. Cause it was, mm-hmm. I, I think I hit 475 or 480 back in like 2015. And I just failed 500 that day. Like I got it above my knee and just couldn't lock it out. Mm-hmm. But I knew I had it. But then that's when I got injured again, um, not training related again, which we still need to touch on the injury that did put me out of weightlifting for a long time. <laughs> but yeah, it was, there was a point where I hit like 550 and I think it was like two months later, I bulged a disc in my back mm. and that put me out for, I guess, like eight months. Um, I, I was just, at that point I was, I was scared. 
mm-hmm. which usually isn't a thing for me. Like I usually don't get like that, but for some reason I just felt very uncomfortable. And then one day I finally like slapped on 500 on the bar again and it flew. And I was yeah. like, what the fuck have I been doing? <laughs> and then it was, I think like a, a five or six month period of me pulling conventional still. And then I switched over to sumo for one day. Mm-hmm. Like, let me just test my max on sumo. And I pulled 555 and I was like, all right, cool. Now I know I can get that. <laughs> it's time to switch. <laughs> well, um, you know, there, there's something you said in there and we'll, and we'll touch on this on the other injury uh, in a second, but um, in, you know, you mentioned you get this bulge disc. I mean, you're out for eight months. We see so frequently in, um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say a sport because people can be for, I'm going to say specifically for competitive athletes and powerlifting, you get an injury that knocks you out for just such a long period of time. It could be half a year. It could be eight months, it could be two years and people can just give up. They can just be like, well, all right, like I'm screwed. Like I never want to get under a bar again. Like, especially if it's in the back that I wonder for you, you know, fear is something that you're not usually going to, going to give into, but I mean, you don't, you don't want to put that kind of load in your back if you think you're still injured. So for people that are trying to move on from that and, and break that plateau, especially when they've been out for so long, what's your advice? Unfortunately, the only advice is you just kind of have to take the risk. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like when I used to coach with weightlifting, um, people who were afraid to dive under a snatch mm-hmm. because they didn't want it to fall on them. And right. I, I pretty much told everyone from day one, I'm like, look, unfortunately, you have to accept the fact that this is going to happen. Yeah. And it's going to hurt. Yep. But you're likely going to be fine. There is a 1% chance that you get some kind of lifetime injury out of this. But you signed up for a sport, which is dangerous. Mm-hmm. I've taken many snatches down my back. Right. And it is not fun. I've also had a snatch run my face into the platform because it fell on my neck and I still got up and finished. It's you, you kind of just have to face the fear and just get over it. Cause it's the same thing with like, I've coached a couple people, like I've watched their deadlifts and they just give up the second it starts to feel heavy. They're like, no. And I'm like, dude, you had momentum. Like keep mm-hmm. fucking going. It's just like the second things start to feel hard is when people tend to give up. So even if it's a matter of fear or a matter of effort, you just have to do it. It's, it's the willpower and you just have to find that within yourself as being like, you know what, how bad do I actually want it? Yeah. And once you find that space, you'll, you'll be fine. But so many people, like I'm saying, running back to the, the thing of being complicit in comfort, people are okay there. They're fine. They don't care. But for some of us, it's like, we have a goal. I lost track of it. Once I saw it again, I was like, Oh, okay. Now I'm going to push it. Yeah. That's good. Well, <clears throat> because we love stories here on the podcast, and because I know you are a storyteller, you tell us about this injury, you know, that took you out of weightlifting that had nothing to do with the gym. Yeah. So um, I got boxer's break up my hand mm. and into my wrist. Um, I three-pieced a guy at a bar after he slapped a girl in front of me. and. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know I broke my hand. There. The modern man, uh, Batman right there. It, whatever you want to call it. Um, her and I are still very good friends to this day. We actually became friends like after that instance. Um, but I was like, we were, it was the end of the night. We were just paying our tabs at the bar and they were arguing. And it was like, she was in between me and then he was on the other side. 
and he slapped her hard enough to like move her out of the way. So I didn't even think about it. I just swung. And on the last hit, I caught him like right under the eye on that like orbital bone mm-hmm. and fractured all up my hand. <laughs> didn't know it. I sat outside and like handcuffs for like two or three hours. The cop finally was like, all right, so what's your side of the story? And I was like, I'm just going to be honest. I punched him in the face after he hit a girl. The cop was like, all right, you're good to go. <laughs> I was like, so I sat here for three hours for you to just be like, all right, cool, go. But then the next day, someone shook my hand and I felt the bones like shifting in mm. in my hand. Oh, that's awful. And it was really bad because it was like a big dude. Like his mm. hands were like the size of catcher's mitts. Yep. So it wasn't Just like a, crushing it. Yeah, it wasn't like a casual handshake. This man had my entire hand like engulfed in his palm and was like squeezing. And I literally was like on my knee, like almost in tears, like, please let go. <laughs> and he's like still gripping and looking at me and being like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, like, please. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, at least there's, there's a good story behind it. I was nervous that there was going to be a story no. that wasn't going to be impressive, but no. I'm, I'm glad it was. The only story that I have as far as injuries, which was way before anything with lifting, was like back in like seventh grade when I fractured my elbow, compound fracture, like nearly shattered it. Mm. Um, and that was child stupidity. That was, Of course. Oh, we've all had those. Yeah, that was me skateboarding, but on ice. Yeah, a few a few problems come to my mind when I yeah. when I picture that potential yeah. issues. I was doing really well, and then I landed one trick like on the nose of the skateboard. It just shot out from under me, and I tanked it right onto my elbow. And, like I didn't even have like a second to like kind of put my hand to grasp. It was I fell in a position where my elbow was already out, and just tanked right down onto it. That was that's completely different. Any lifting injury I've had has been kind of a freak injury. Mm-hmm. Most injuries that I sustain usually aren't lifting related. Sure. They're more like a dumb thing that just kind of happens to me. I remember when I was, uh, when I was two years old, <clears throat> apparently I was a bit of a wanderer as a baby and, uh, we, we had a dog and the dog was chasing the ball and myself being a two-year-old, I was chasing the dog, chasing the ball. And I ran straight into the side of a dishwasher uh, and for to this day, I have a scar right on the inside of my left eye. I almost took out my, my own eye uh, at two years old. So aren't we glad that I didn't do that? That would be a really interesting story to tell for the rest of your life, though. Yeah, I actually don't tell that to too many people. So that's how yeah. this episode doesn't get too many listens. Or if they I do, would... don't share this story. <laughs> I was like, uh, you can't even see it because it just kind of blends in with like the actual cracks of your palm. Mm-hmm. But I have a scar on my palm from when I used to like work in a restaurant and um, I was polishing a wine glass one night. And I guess I just put a little bit too much pressure and I snapped the wine glass at the stem. Love but that. It, but it snapped the diagonal mm. so, so sharp. It ripped down through the muscle tissue of my palm. And then I sat in the ER for 13 hours before I actually got seen. I'm like, mm. I'm like, ma'am, you know, what? I'm, I'm bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to the American medical system. That's just, that's the best. <laughs> well, uh, so switching, switching topics a little bit. Um, you know, I know you've mentioned that you do some coaching. I know you've dabbled with the idea of launching a coaching platform or whether you're just staying individual. So I wonder, as you look ahead to, to your own future, um, within the fitness industry and your own personal business ventures, what's it look like for you? What are you thinking of? What are you dreaming about? Um, I mean, so as far as like launching like a, coaching platform it's still an idea um just because i still have the ability to do it Mm -hmm. um 
but it's it's a matter of marketing sake for us. We know there's a couple other brands that pretty much own the market, so we need to make sure that we have something or someone comparable on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem with that is we're not paying anybody up front. We were sure. asking people to basically trust in us to build something that can compete with the best of the best, which I'll blatantly say it. I know for a fact I can beat them with my abilities as far as software development and web programming. Sure. Um, just because of who I work with because <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we do that is one of my other businesses is doing software development and web design. So for us, I mean, that's something that we've worked on before. Um, we have built a couple websites for different coaches. Um, a couple of people that you would probably know we mm-hmm. built their website. We just kind of keep it on the, the hush as far as whatever it may be. Um, but with coaching for me, I, I always keep it kind of, low key. I don't really like to take on a ton of clients at once because it's, it's not my primary job. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I often try to take on people who are new to the sport as well. So I can kind of teach them and run them in a direction towards progress. And then if they actually want to take it serious and get more serious, I usually push them off onto someone who is a full-time coach. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just cause for me, I don't, it's, it's not that I don't feel confident in myself as a coach. It's, I know you're looking for someone who's like, actually going to like not i'm not saying this like i don't care about my clients but like for me i know that you need someone who's like 100 percent in the sport yeah it really wants to see you be successful i want to see you be successful but i'm not going to like fly across the country to your meets sure like it's it's that's not for me and like i i try to take on a lot of younger kids too um Mm -hmm. so typically speaking like i'll usually take on probably like eight or nine like paid clients. Um, and then I usually leave probably about like six or seven spots open for kids like who can't really afford coaching and want to get into it. Sure. And I think that's awesome because I mean, we know coaching can <clears throat> is not necessarily the, the cheapest thing. Uh, you know, you, you've got people who are going to range from, Hey, like let me give you a cookie cutter for 20 bucks to I'm going to charge you $200 a month. And you're like, who can even afford that? Yeah, and that's where you run into certain things with that is I, I'm, certain people, it, it bugs me how much they charge because they're very unattentive to clients as well. Right. Is I've heard absolute coaching horror stories um, from people where they're paying someone 180 bucks a month and they'll text someone, this person, like seven or eight times for like a form check or something and the person will never get back to them. Yeah. And it's like... it's. <laughs> you're basically robbing people of their money for a program that you're sending to everyone. Cause the other problem I have is a lot of coaches with this bullshit of like, Oh, personalized programming. Shut the hell up. No, it's not. Yeah. There, we, we all know. And anyone who does coaching knows that there's pretty much probably 10 to 12 real templates for what you're going to give someone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can tweak them. But at the end of the day, certain things work and certain things don't. Right. So if you're writing 100% individualized program for someone, you're both wasting your own time. And- <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's only so many ways that you can change the design of a wheel. It's like, buddy, it's it's a progressive overload. It's <laughs> undulating periodization. Like, I don't know how much more difficult you guys need to make this to just get to the root point, which is, Hey, lift more weight progressively each time you touch the barbell and right. you'll get stronger. Right. 
I don't know. I, I had uh, a couple guys like when I first started saying, you know, uh, different guys who were at Liberty around me who were like, hey, man, like, you know, a little bit more than me. Can you just write me something? And I'm like, yeah. So first off, I'm not charging anyone anything. I'm literally just being like, hey, and they'd be like, hey, this isn't, you know, as personalized as I thought it would be. And I'm like, mm, you didn't pay me any money for this. So, of course, it's not personalized. You just asked me to do you a favor. <laughs> yeah, that's like. I've had like friends be like, Hey man, can you write me a program? And I'm like, yeah, sure. 70 bucks a month. Yeah. And they're like, huh? You can't just yeah. like put me something together. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm like, I get you. I'm like, you do know I get paid for this, like from other people. Right. Like I understand like we're friends, which is why I'm telling you 70, right. like <laughs> go talk to someone else. They're probably going to tell you 120 at a minimum. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, the the one exception that I've done has been my family, like my parents. But I'm like, I'm not writing you a powerlifting program. I'm saying, hey, like, do push-ups five sets of 10 right. and then rest. <laughs> I was like, my ex-girlfriend like wanted a program or whatever just for legs. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, not a problem. I'll write you three days worth of this, not like whatever. Sure. All right, cool. Not a problem. We're dating. Like, it's that's not an issue to me. Mm -hmm. I just have my friends who are like, hey, man, you coach, right? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, what are you looking to have done? And they're like, oh, well, like, can you write me a program? And I'm like, yeah, sure, we can work out numbers. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, like, payment. And they're like, well, oh, like, I didn't know. I was like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fucking job. Right. Like, I'm not going to do labor for free just because we're friends. This is <laughs> like a good deed of heart. This is like hours that I've like taken actually forget that years of my life yes <laughs> <laughs> that i've that i've given towards learning how to do this i'm not going to do it for free this is we're cool right like maybe on a one time like where i'll like all right cool like yeah i'll write you like something for today mm -hmm. like, hey man give me a do you have like a good workout for today all right cool yeah not a problem but if you're sure. asking me that every day mm -hmm. i'm gonna start hitting you with a venmo request Right. Like, like you're not going to go to your friend who's a heart surgeon and say, Hey man, can you give me quick open heart surgery? Yeah, like I can't pay you anything, but like, can you do it? He's be like, no, <laughs> you're not going to go to a lawyer and be like, Hey, can you bail me out of my third degree murder charge? Like you just can't. I've, I've done that to a friend before. He asked me a couple times and I gave him like two workouts. And then the mm -hmm. third time he asked, I just sent him a $15 Venmo request. And he was like, what's that for? And I was like, Oh, the workouts that I've given you so far, that's like, roughly about a week's worth and he's like do you serious and i was like yeah yes yes david i am <laughs> one thousand percent serious oh man but i mean you know you do see that and, and i think it, it's important for people to remember you know if you are listening that just because someone's friends with you they're still trying to make a living and in the fitness industry everyone wants stuff for free like i think of like the arnold expo like everyone's going around trying to get free samples trying to get free advice there's only so far you can get with that. Like at a certain point, you have to start putting money back into an industry if you want it to continue to last. Because if you're just continuously asking for free stuff, what are you offering? People are just going to assume you're a bum. You can't just keep that up. Yeah. And it's even taking it just a slight step further. Stop asking your friends for discounts all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> I hate that. Well, like, like I'll offer it out of like the grace of my heart. Sure. But that's me offering it to you. I don't want you, if you ask me for a discount, I'm probably going to charge you double just because <laughs> Be like, actually it's 300 bucks a month. Like, what? <laughs> that, like, I have so many friends who like own businesses here in Baltimore and they're like, Oh cool. Like I'll, I'll give you the friends and family discount. And I'm like, can you, 
can you not like please like don't don't yeah can you actually charge me 100 <laughs> percent? they're like no 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 i got you and i'm like yeah but like i i know but like don't <laughs> and they're like uh i'm not understanding i'm like i want to pay what it's worth Right. I want to support you 100%. Right. Not 75, 80. Don't give me a discount. Just so we're cool with each other. Like, we can cover each other in different ways. Cause, like, I, one of my friends is like a tailor. He owns a tailor shop. And, like, him and I are like, he's like one of my best friends. And I, sometimes I'll just like go hang out with him at the shop and, like, I'll buy a bottle of whiskey or whatever just for us to sit around and drink while he works. And then I'll take something to get tailored. And he'll charge me for like one item and be like, yo, the bottle of whiskey, don't worry about it. And I'm like, all right, that's a little bit different because like mm-hmm. <laughs> we have like a running thing with each other because he knows I'll do the same thing for him. Like he's asked me to like help him with things. That's a little bit different. But when you're just coming out of nowhere and you're asking someone for something free or for a discount, you're a bum. <laughs> yeah. Well, so kind of on the back end of this interview, you know, I ask all my guests two two different questions because, uh, of course, the the title being, um, you know, faith, fitness, and French toast. Uh, fitness is the thing that most of my guests I bring them on because that's what their expertise is uh, in some capacity. Um, but one of the questions I love asking people um, is the faith question. People who are listening to this know that that I'm a Christian, but they also know that I'm inviting on guests of many different walks of life. Um, and I know that regardless of religious faith expectations, everyone has wisdom as far as a concept of faith in their own personal lives. And I wonder for you, if you could speak into that for what that looks like for you personally, or whether it doesn't play anything at all. Um, I mean, for, for me personally, I, I don't, it's like a loaded question for me because I don't, it does, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you and I have had this conversation before personally where I, I am not a believer. Um, just because of through my life situations and things that I've gone through in life, it kind of has pushed me away where a lot of other people, for I don't want to say for some reason because I, I understand the, the demographic and what the pool is for them. Yeah. But my struggles and battles with like anxiety, um, depression, and suicidal bouts – have taken me away from believing that there is anything greater than me. Um, my, my faith relies in my own decision-making, um, and more along the lines of, I guess, like I'm, I hate saying that, like, I care more about like energy and vibe because I feel like it sounds so corny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sound like a hippie, you know, you're smoking weed in the back of the van vibes, man. Just about the vibes. But yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in the church. Um, I, I spent probably 15 to 16 years of my life in church. Mm-hmm. And I just never, never felt what other people of faith do. Sure. And that wasn't me not being attentive when I was there. That was just, I never had that feeling of like a coming to Jesus moment or that, that, that God had touched my life in any way. Um, just because of other things that I've gone through where I felt like, all right, well, if this person did, does exist, these things would not have happened to me and my friends sure. or my loved ones. Um, but as, as you know, I, I respect whatever anyone's belief is going to be. I'm just very firm in my stance as far as I'm probably not going to sway because I've gone this long also practicing and not practicing. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a very fair answer. Well, so the other topic, uh, this is my personal favorite question to ask everyone. And I did say it was a running joke the first two seasons because at no point did I ever bring up food. Now, I know you are a huge foodie, so much more. I mean, I know I can eat, but you're the type of person. I, I, 
<laughs> I hate that word. <laughs> okay, what, what what's the preferred preferred word? Donut connoisseur? I don't even know. I just I hate the term foodie. Like, all right, you like food. Congratulations, you're a normal person. <laughs> all right, well, well, we'll call you a uh, a miniature guy Fieri. Does that work? I'm down with that. Yeah. That's- <laughs> That's my dad. Well, so uh, what, what I love asking people, and, and as I mentioned in your own intro, this, this may be your answer, but, but my question is this, and we can, we can expand off of it. If there's one breakfast food you could eat for the rest of your life. What would it be and why? It's actually hard for me because I like so many different things. Some would say a, a foodie even. No. <laughs> All right. My answer is going to be probably the most odd one of the bunch. If you say cereal, no, come on, don't don't disrespect. Hey, me. hey, I just I had to get it out there. <laughs> it's gonna be omu rice, okay? Because I love rice and I love eggs, and I feel like they are the perfect pairing that a lot of people don't respect together. A lot of people prefer hash browns and potatoes for breakfast, sure, or toast. Rice is superior. You know, it, it's interesting that you say that because that has continued the tradition of people giving me bizarre answers. You know, like I, re- I really thought, you know, when I asked that question, I people were just going to say, that. yeah, people, waffles. not even that, but like people be like, I like waffles. I like pancakes. I like bacon. But people are like Spanish arepas or they're like, there's a specific restaurant in San Diego that I love specifically. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Just love something normal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a rice I can make. So that's like for, for me, I can make that at home. That's not like me being like, yeah, well, like there's this place in Baltimore, which everyone has bit the idea of this place now, but Captain Crunch French toast, okay, which is delicious. But now you're seeing like places do like fruity pebble French toast and all that kind of stuff. But it's mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to give you a specific answer to one location because that's not one breakfast food. That's a sure. menu item. Sure. But my, well, mine, mine would be Oma Rice. Okay. I, I know you were probably expecting donuts. I was. I'm not going to lie. I thought you were going to say donuts. I mean, my no. follow-up question to you, of course, uh, and, and you've answered this to me privately before, but I wonder for those listening, you are somewhat of a, of a donut connoisseur. I think almost weekly, uh, at least when we were able to travel without it being a crime, you are going out and like finding places you know, with, with specific donuts. So I wonder if you could rank your top three donuts and where people can find them. All right. This is easy because I already know my answer. Yeah, I, I figured. <laughs> All right. Number one. And the, the thing that sucks is they have not made this in probably three years. Okay. But it's still my number one. I've never had a better donut. It is the lemon hibiscus berry twist from Blackbird Donuts in Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. Number two is the peanut butter and jelly donut at Astro. In D.C. or Falls Church, Virginia. I can attest to that. That's phenomenal. I've had that one. That donut's incredible. So good. And then number three, I believe what I would probably put there, and this is going to probably be the surprise, is the plain glazed donut at Beeler's. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of a curveball. What why, what makes that the number three? That is the – of all the plain glazed donuts I've ever had, that is the perfect plain glazed Wow, and the other thing I will say, like the the only shop that I'll give the the pass on this, and I still have not gone there, is PV Donuts in Rhode Island. That's like my dream donut location, and I'm actually upset with myself that I haven't gone there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But if you go to a location for a donut and you don't get a plain glazed, number one, you're wrong. (laughs) Every donut location should be, should absolutely be ranked and based off of their plain glaze. If you can't make a good plain glaze, then why are you making the other ones? You don't make a good donut. Yeah, exactly. I also will give a hot shout to the Cookie Monster Donut from Broad Street Donut Company, which is in uh, Oakhurst, New Jersey. And then they opened a location in Fremont, New Jersey. Okay. She's she's also the nicest person in the world. Well, for for a lot of people who uh, don't understand the the fine dining aspect of donuts, uh, I, I can hear the college students now. Why haven't you said Krispy Kreme? I mean, Krispy Kreme's like OG, but it's also like so easily accessible. Sure, so they're they're great. There's no, there's no originality behind like that one store that you can find somewhere. Yeah, so like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I will go on record to say that there's nothing that really beats like a fresh, hot glaze right. melt in your mouth. It's like, gone in a second. But that's that's a visceral experience that you're gonna get, <laughs> right? Like in that moment around the country when the hot lights on. Sure, that's not like me rolling up to Astro at like. I don't know, 2 p.m. And the plain glazed donut still slaps, even though it's been on the rack for like three hours. Sure. And that is a big differentiator because if it's not hot from Krispy Kreme, it's not like it's It's just not not the same same experience. It's just like a thing. You can go to Royal Farms and get the same donut then. Exactly. You can buy Krispy Kremes in a grocery store. It's not Mm -hmm. the same. But I also 7-Eleven has really good plain glazed donut well that is a hot take i would not have seen that coming that is so obscure i, I, eat, a, I, I eat a donut a day i, I will put that on that's good. i've heard that a donut a day make sure you stay in a heavy weight class i don't know about all that i mean i am a little 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 plump right now but i've also eaten a donut a day sometimes two and cut weight at the same time hey that's that's what they say you know if it fits your macros yeah i don't i don't want to be flexible dining lifestyle and eat <laughs> No, no, no offense, Zach Rochaleo, if you listen to this, but I don't, I don't like your food. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, the the last point we'll touch on, you know, um, you're you're kind of the your your episode comes out, you know, at, at a really a pivotal time. Um, there's so much has happened in the last. It feels like three months since I started even interviewing people. Um, I, you know, I think back the first guest I had on Larry McEwen was after quarantine started and that feels like a lifetime ago. And since then, you know, we've had, it's just crazy. That's been like three months, you know, from, from quarantine and COVID, um, to the continuance of these protests and riots, you know, across the country. Um, you know, the goal of this podcast is really to, to encourage people. Um, and, and I wonder what words of encouragement you would have for people that maybe, you know, they're, they're going on the social media. They're going everywhere. They're like, holy shit, the world's ending. You know, I wonder what words you'd have for people. Uh, first and foremost, shut up and listen. Um, a, a lot of people are way too quick to speak on subjects that they don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have had back and forth on this before just because we don't necessarily agree all the time. But it, especially in what the current global climate is with protests going on, um, if, if your response requires a butt after it, mm-hmm. it is time for you to shut the fuck up. Yeah. You need to listen to people. 
And that, that's the, the biggest thing. Learn compassion and empathy. Too many people are so self-centered in their own way as far as what they're, they're doing in their day-to-day life. They don't pay a single ounce of attention to other people and what they deal with and what they go through. So they're quick to write people off. So if I'm going to encourage anybody to do anything, it's to take two seconds to look at yourself. Whether you realize that you are privileged or not, whether that, and and I'm not going to make that the white privilege thing, Sure. but check your privilege in general, because so many people don't realize how good they have it and they, they fail at the simplest tasks of being empathetic towards people that have less than them. And instead of understanding their point of view and what they're talking about, they just want to down the person and be like, well, you could do better. That's not the point. (laughs) Just shut up, listen to people and be empathetic. We'll get to a better point in life if everyone just stops and listens to people for literally 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good word. You know, it, if I had a dollar for every time I had a conversation with someone where I've realized this isn't a conversation, there, there is no dialogue here anymore. It's to, it's someone who has become so entrenched in their own viewpoints, whatever that may be on any topic, that the opportunity for dialogue has disappeared. And there's nowhere f- for the American people or the human race to go if we're unwilling to consider other viewpoints. Yeah, and that, that that is like a slippery slope as far as like a two-way street goes because you can't respect views that put other people at harm's risk. Sure. So like I, I got into this with someone the other day because they're, oh, well, you don't have respect for other people's views. And I'm like, I do. But the whole difference of opinion thing is like, all right, well, like I prefer apples to oranges. That's a difference of opinion. Sure. <laughs> but when you're talking about like the rights of people to literally live. Yeah. If you don't agree with what I'm saying, I'm not going to respect your opinion. Point sure. blank, simple. Like I just, I don't have, I don't have the time of day. Mm-hmm. I don't have the time of day while all you have is the audacity. Yeah. And at that point, I'm just, I'm going to shut you down, and I just don't care. Yeah. So it's, like, I, I might sound like a hypocrite in this situation. I'm telling people to shut up and listen, but there, there is a right and a wrong side to this because there, there are certain things where you may have an opinion, but if your opinion can be literally disproved. You need to learn to back down and be educated. Sure. I think that's a great word. Well, folks, you have heard it here first. This has been a conversation with Andrew Lawrence, a friend of mine based out of Baltimore, Maryland. You can watch the space, find him on Instagram. He may block you for following him, but it's at Andrew Lawrence. Uh, I won't. You won't. Um, so in that, please go follow and reach out, swipe up on the stories, learn. This guy is a wealth of information. And he's more than willing to share it to you, whether you really want to hear it or not, which is a wonderful character trait. Um, but make sure if you watch this space as things continue to come out, um, big things coming for him. Hey, y'all, if you love that episode and you're craving just a little bit more, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify at Faith Fitness and French Toast or visit us at anchor.fm forward slash Moses Allwood for full interviews, trailers and more for the rest of the season. We've got even more great guests lined up for the coming episodes from world record holders to Marine Corps veterans, gym owners and more. So don't forget to turn on your post notifications on Instagram and stay connected on your platform of choice to be the first to hear of new guests and early episode releases. With that, I'm Moses Allwood. Thanks as always for listening. I'll see you next week.